Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. In the days following September 2nd, 1945, there were few labels more abhorrent than that of Nazi. As the events of the Holocaust and Adolf Hitler's genocide against Europe's Jewish community and other groups and minorities came to light, anyone associated with the Nazis or anyone linked to their repulsive deeds were put on trial and held accountable for their actions. SS officers and Nazi officials scattered throughout Europe in a frantic race to escape persecution. They assumed false identities and took refuge in the few countries that sympathized with their ideologies and whose extradition laws kept them safe. Subsequently, in the years after World War II, Nazi hunters like the famed Simon Wiesenthal would scour the ends of the earth, trying to find these criminals and bring them to justice. For some 1,600 German Nazi elite, scientists and engineers, one government, however, actually recruited them welcomed them, embracing their backgrounds after 1945. They didn't have to hide their identities. The resumes they built during World War II is what set them apart from their colleagues. This country and the project they were being chosen for might surprise you. What lengths were countries willing to go to during the height of the Cold War, under the threat of the nuclear age, when they willingly signed a deal with the devil? In Season 2, Episode 29, Happy Birthday to Who, I told the story behind the iconic song that has become synonymous with birthday celebrations around the world, and you've heard Phil and I wish our loved ones happy birthday on past episodes of The Missing Chapter. Now, we want to extend that on-air shout-out opportunity to you, our loyal listeners. Email us at themissingchapterpodcast at gmail.com, or reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram and let us do the rest. Birthdays, anniversaries, graduations... What better way to celebrate life's accomplishments than with a personalized message on one of Spotify's most popular podcasts? So email us today at themissingchapterpodcast at gmail.com or message us on social media and let's get started. I'm Phil Schaff. And I'm Phil Horner, And we look forward to adding one of your celebrations to the History Podcast. Missing Chapter fans, it's the two Phils. We're back at it again Another episode coming at you today. Phil Horner, Phil Schaff, and we're talking coffee first. Uh, breakfast Blend, Utica Coffee Roasting mm-hmm, Company mm-hmm. Breakfast Blend. It's it, Sometimes simplicity is the best. Yep. And you look at a breakfast blend, it's like, hey, how does that compare with all these different flavors? I love it. It's citrus, it's caramel, it's bright, and that's what we're going with today. So yep. I think it's this kind of episode. It, it fits perfectly because I want to tell you, sometimes, you know, the old adage, I love when a plan comes together. Yes. All right. Well, this was a topic that I had done research on without ever telling you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. A friend of ours uh, who's a a listener of the podcast, Tracy Evans, came to you and said, hey, you got to do research on on this topic. You started telling me about it. And then I said, wait a second. I I had this in in my docket of one of the episodes I wanted to do. So here we go. You've done your own particular research. I've done my own. We have not shared any notes at all in typical missing chapter fashion. But in this case, we said, hey, I want to see where this goes. 
uh, and compare notes on air. So yeah. here we go. And and kind of unintentionally, Phil, like you said, it's like two different scripts t- came together. So the format for today was unintentional. Correct. Um, I'm going to go first, then you're going to do a little bit of uh, some some detail. Sure. Uh, for kind of the, the foundation that I'm going to lay out. But yeah, it, it's funny how things work out that way. And, and listen, I, thanks to Tracy for, for reminding yeah. us or else this would not have happened. So, Absolutely. Uh, we're excited for it. And let's talk a deal with the devil, Operation Paperclip. Operation Paperclip. And we're in the years just following World War II. Okay. So we've talked World War II in here a couple of times, Phil. But these are the years as the war wraps up. You know, how, how does Europe go about healing itself? How does the United States transition from World War II, warring, you know, fighting fascism, Nazism? Um, to entering almost immediately into the Cold War. Mm -hmm. So as World War II is entering its final stages, American and British organizations teamed up to scour occupied Germany for as much military, scientific, and technological development research as they could uncover. By all accounts, you know, the Germans had done a lot of research and, and were on the verge of kind of discovering some of the weaponry that we were discovering. Right. Um, And they'd also done research on stuff that was completely new to us. And like I said, as as the war winds down, where will this research go and whose hands will it fall into? So trailing behind Allied combat troops, groups such as the Combined Intelligence Objectives Subcommittee, the CIOS, the Combined Intelligence Objectives Subcommittee, began confiscating war-related documents and materials and began interrogating scientists as German research facilities were seized by Allied forces. Mm -hmm. One enlightening discovery, and oddly enough, it was recovered from a toilet at Bonn University in Germany. Okay. All right. Was the Osenberg List, which was a catalog of scientists and engineers that had been put to work for the Third Reich. So here you have a list of who had enlisted, who had been recruited by the Germans. And, you know, fortunately, we're checking everything. In this case, a toilet. We, We come across this list. In a covert affair originally nicknamed Operation Overcast, but later later dubbed Operation Paperclip, like you just mentioned, roughly 1,600 of these German scientists, along with their families, are brought to the United States to work on America's behalf during the Cold War. Now, the program was run by the newly uh, formed Joint Intelligence Objectives Agency. I'm throwing a lot of names at you here. Or the JIOA whose goal was to harness German intellectual resources to help develop America's arsenal of rockets and other biological and chemical weapons, but also to ensure that this coveted information did not fall into the hands of the Soviet Union. So it's really, it's twofold here, Phil. Use the resources that the Germans had at their disposal to further advance U.S. technology, but also to ensure that 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 same intel didn't fall into the hands of the communists. And that's something that I have in my notes as well, because there is a a Soviet version of Paperclip, which I don't want to get into yet because Mm -hmm. we needed to um, get a little deeper into what Operation Paperclip truly is and what it entails. Uh, But that'll be mentioned a little bit later. So we're, we're right on point here. Right. And. I want to point out something early, and this was almost a question that I had that I came across in my research, and I I think it needs to be established. Who knows what's going on? How is this very sensitive topic and material being um, dealt with? Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that, it's important to know, although he officially sanctioned, he signed off on the operation, then President Harry Truman forbid the agency from actually recruiting any Nazi members 
or active Nazi supporters. But nevertheless, officials within the JIOA, an Office of Strategic Services, all right, which is kind of the, the, the precursor, the forerunner of the, the CIA, bypassed this directive all right, by eliminating or whitewashing incriminating evidence of possible war crimes from the scientists' records, believing their intelligence to be crucial to the country's post-war efforts. So Truman says, listen, we're going to do this, but there's some parameters. And these agencies take it upon themselves to go against those directives. And, and the term whitewashing, yeah. like either covering up, intentionally doing away with, doesn't really matter. You're, you're dealing with some pretty nasty individuals here. And, you know, Phil, you had mentioned a couple episodes back that Spotify now allows us to do some, some polling. Yep. And maybe this is the topic of a poll. Is the information they possessed and the technology the Germans had outweigh the war crimes and where our listeners stand on that debate? And where, at least under my uh, my notes I have here, September 1946, does that ring a bell? This is where mm-hmm. Truman officially approves this and says, Correct. hey, let's whitewash. Yeah, yeah and that, I think that's crucial because, like you said, time frame is everything. So you, you're, you're post-World War II. But even even in immediately, almost immediately, you have these um, these issues between the the superpowers. You right. know, how much do you trust each other? You, there, there might be communication, but there's always this uh, underlying uh, worry, fear, at least at the very at the very minimum, a paranoia. Ooh, right. Oh, paranoia. I think is intentions. The you know, like hey, uh, yes. we we got something from um, the Soviet Union or, or or Russia. You know, depending on the time mm-hmm. frame, and saying hey, we just don't know. We don't know. We don't trust this very gift. It could even be. Um, so listen, I think uh, this is a this is a story. I think uh, all listeners, whether mm-hmm. you're a fan of the Cold War, World War II espionage it, it's all encompassing because all encompassing. some of the details we can share uh with these listeners after the break i think will will blow their minds yeah okay phil so we kind of laid out the preliminary portion of this uh podcast and controversial you know to say the least uh we can probably see both sides of the argument whether this was ethical or not but I think it's also important to talk about specifics and, and to get into really what benefits that these scientists provide the U.S. with. Maybe that'll tip our, our listeners' opinion one way or another. Although defenders of the stealthy operation argue that the balance of power could have easily shifted to the Soviet Union during the Cold War, you know, if these same Nazi scientists were not brought to the United States, opponents point to the ethical cost of ignoring really what we consider abhorrent war crimes without punishment or accountability. One of the most well-known recruits, and I know you're going to talk about him too, was Werner von Braun, mm. the technical director at the Pianomunde Army Research Center in Germany. And he was instrumental in developing the lethal V2 rocket that right. devastated England during the war. Now, von Braun, uh, along with some other rocket scientists, were brought to Fort Bliss, Texas and White Sands Proving Grounds in New Mexico as what the U.S. Army referred to as War Department Specialist Employees, all right? Von Braun later became director, Phil, of NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center and the chief architect of the Saturn V launch vehicle, which eventually propelled two dozen American astronauts to the moon. All right, Phil, and you mentioned you mentioned some pretty prolific names there, as well as some pretty unbelievable technologies, including the V-2 rocket. So that's actually where I'm going to chime in, too, because I think our notes pretty much coincide with each other perfectly. So 
let's talk about what the V2 rocket is. Cause you mentioned that a few times. Um, I had to remind myself. So it's, it's unbelievable uh, technology for that era. The V2 rockets considered the most advanced weapon of its category at the time. And I'm reading directly from opindia.com who does a really good job of laying all this out. Uh, the 46 foot long rocket carries up to 2000 pounds of explosives. It was capable of traveling at speeds five times the speed of sound, which is, I mean, once again, you got to go back to this is in the 1940s. Right. And no allied weapon was able to match it. So Europe is, of course, praying that it never falls on one of their cities. Now, the name that you mentioned has come up a ton in my notes, and that's Warner von Braun. Um, a little background with him, too. And I know you gave the listeners uh, a backstory with him, too. Just to expound on that a little bit. He starved, overworked tens of thousands of slaves in labor camps, uh, but he was a decorated, celebrated star of the inner circle Nazis. And he eventually uh, went on to develop those ballistic missiles and space satellites, as you mentioned, uh, for NASA in the USA. He was given the National Medal of Science in 1975. And all of this, as I'm reading, it, it conjures up this... Um, I don't know, excited conscience in me because it's mm-hmm. it, it it's uncomfortable. It, it you see a guy who's who's done so so many awful things, and then you see pictures of him and he's always smiling. Right. And you know, Phil, I, I think this is where we we kind of turn to our listeners and we said, you know, is it gonna tip your opinion in one direction or another? And I'm finding with myself, you know, you talk about thousands of people being starved, forced labor. I mean, this wasn't just someone associated with the Nazis, someone associated with the SS who might have had uh, less of a direct impact on the actual genocide during this time period, but he was directly involved. He was benefiting from it. He was carrying it out. Yes. And that's where I find myself. Yes, he gave us valuable information, helped our space program advance during a very crucial time in history. But the whitewashing of his past and the atrocities that he committed, I'm finding myself kind of moving toward the direction of this is not okay. I would agree. I mean, it really is unacceptable yeah. that that we, we were, you know, and, and you're going to get into this, I think, is like he actually starts making requests as for, hey, th- these are colleagues I'd like brought over to. And it's unbelievable. He's so making it, demands of yes, us now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the idea that, that he wasn't just, you know, a, a third party, he was directly involved, this mm-hmm. is exactly where I was headed. Because from historycollection.com, um, what, what they they do some great jobs too here describing Operation Paperclip and, and what they said was in reality von Braun had been quite comfortable with the Third Reich and I I, I want to focus in on that word comfortable because in every piece of, of my research and, and looking into this and the documentaries that have mm-hmm. been involved with Operation Paperclip it is that that almost arrogant comfortability that this guy has that feels like he's untouchable which only angers me further because right. it's always those those murderers, those uh, criminals who feel like they can get away with anything. Mm-hmm. And they have that that smirk on their face like, hey, listen, you, you can't touch me. To the point where we're actually giving him awards and medals. I know. It, that's the, exactly. Yeah. So, all right. So far uh, from being oblivious to the Nazi horrors, von Braun was personally involved in Nazi atrocities and was a direct hands-on participant in war crimes. Among other things, he personally supervised the manufacturing of rockets using tens of thousands of slave laborers. So here's, here's this, once again, from historycollection.com. An estimated 20,000 slave workers toiling to build von Braun's rockets died of starvation, maltreatment, or were murdered by their guards while building his rockets. He was often at the slave labor facilities 
and he had firsthand knowledge of the horrific workplace conditions. You know, it'd be one thing if you hear of the atrocities that are taking place in an mm -hmm. Apple factory and, and somewhere in China and the, you know, uh, Apple executives don't know what's going on, right? right? right. But when you have firsthand knowledge and you're, wa uh, you're watching it, you're witnessing it firsthand, uh, pretty horrific. Yeah. And the old adage, the ends justify the means, I have a difficult time with. Here. I would have to agree. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned him making demands. Uh, when he had been taken to the U.S., he had specifically asked for a guy by the name of Major General Walter Dornberger. And if, if that name doesn't ring a bell, then I think this one will. He is a close associate of Himmler himself. All right. Hitler's right-hand man. The physicist who oversaw the V-2 rocket development was Werner von Braun, but Dornberger was notorious for using slaves in his workshops and fields that had already reportedly worked hundreds of slaves to death. So, and of course, the V2 rockets are causing hundreds of deaths in England. But it's Walter von uh, Dornberger, excuse me, Walter Dornberger, who was arrested by the British forces and was tried for war crimes. So the U.S., guess what? Appeases uh, Warner von Braun's demands, brings over Dornberger too, and he started making V2 missiles for the Americans. So Dornberger later year, uh, works for years at the research and development wing of Belk Aircraft Corporation. He helps the U.S. by developing the world's first surface-to-air missile, nuclear missile, excuse me, and even the space shuttle. Mm. So the war criminal who had starved thousands to death in labor camps lives pretty successfully in a privileged, privileged life uh, to a ripe old age. So not only do we have, um, you know, Warner von, von Braun coming over, asking for uh, one of the major generals who was a close associate of Himmler. You have Dornberger coming over, who is directly involved in creating the V-2 rocket and helping space flight and so forth. So you have these two huge names, huge names, direct contact with Hitler um, and some of his close associates. These are not, like you said, third-party people. These yeah. are direct contact with horrible atrocities. And one of the things I, I admittedly didn't get into my in my own research, I would love to know I mean, it wasn't like they were trying to cover this up to the point where if I'm living in Alabama, uh, working alongside these these guys during this time yeah. period and these families are coming over here and they're living in amongst people who, you know, World War Two is still very, 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 very fresh in our minds. Yeah. And if I had a relative who fought in Europe, if I had a relative who died in World War Two, how, how did people in the United States feel about this? That's a great point. You know, and and that that we're, you know ultimately not even helping these people get out of Europe and, and escaping persecution, but now championing them, putting them up, taking care of them. I would have had to imagine this did not settle well with, with everyone, you know, not just you and me, Phil. I would have to agree. And then, then part of what I'm reading here is, is also concerning too, is that he was almost hiding in plain sight because it says Von Braun made himself world famous by advocating spaceflight in magazines and on TV. And if you Google this guy's name, I mean, it's it's weird. In 2023, we know how uh, social media media can, can can twist and turn stories to make anyone look out to be um, glorified. But in, in this case, Von Braun was almost in part, I mean, made world famous by his spaceflight and by his his uh, scientific knowledge and almost neglecting the the checkered past that he had. But in some other uh, sites that I've, I've noticed, it says if we went to the moon or excuse me, if we if we go to Mars and we went to the moon already, in large part, it's because of him. Thanks to him. So it's it's uh, Warner von Braun. It's it's uh, Dernberger. So one of the things from uh, 
another History Channel um, article is that if the day ever comes when humans set foot on Mars and colonize the Red Planet, it'll also be thanks to him in large part. Mankind owes Von Braun a huge debt for his contributions to the space sciences. On the other hand, the man was a, a war criminal responsible for the deaths of thousands of slave laborers who perished while toiling on his rockets um, in atrocious conditions of which he was fully aware. So there's a lot of other other avenues we could go down here. And I'll, I'll mention one other prominent name in Operation Paperclip. It's Reinhard uh, Gehlen, one of Hitler's chief intelligence officers. He oversaw the brutal torture interrogation of prisoners. He was recruited by the U.S. once again for the information he had on the Soviets. So not only was it uh, Operation Paperclip, was it, was it, I don't know, geared towards intelligence. It was also geared towards intelligence of the Soviets at the time, because, you know, we got to remember we're still in the Cold War. So he reportedly paid millions of dollars. Um, he was paid under uh, a 1949 contract by the CIA and helped create a network that eventually smuggled over 5,000 Nazis away from facing trial and jail time in Germany. Another um, guy by the name of Otto Ambrose was a chemist who tr was tried at Nuremberg. He was granted clemency with USA's help. Um, President Truman had, had in September 1946 officially approved Operation Paperclip, right? So taking all those 1,600 Nazi scientists and bringing them in. Now, the reason why we, we bring up 1946 is because you kind of forget with all the, the Nazi war crimes, you forget that we're still in opposition to the Soviets. So the Soviets also had their version of paperclip. Um, and there's no way I'm going to pronounce this correctly. So I'll, I'll just leave it at that. It, there is an operation in the Soviet Union, but it's said to have siphoned off over 6,000 German scientists wow. and their family members from Soviet-controlled areas of Germany to employ and rehab in the Soviet Union. Um, I'll end with this. Uh, I, I would love to have this guy on our, our podcast. His name is Michael Newfield. He's from the National Air and Space Museum. He does a great job summarizing this whole project. So he says... Uh, Project Paperclip um, made a significant contribution to American technology, rocket development, military preparedness, and eventually spaceflight. But there was a moral cost to the program, the cover-up of the Nazi records of many of the specialists. In a small number of cases, the U.S. hosted and in integrated people who should have faced war crime trials. These facts often lead to black and white judgments. Either the paperclip scientists and engineers were all Nazi criminals or all technological geniuses. In my assessment, the project and related efforts to seize German knowledge did greatly benefit American science, technology, and national security in the Cold War, but we needed a better filter to screen out some of the worst offenders. In the late 40s and early 50s era of anti-communist anxiety especially, it was all too easy to obscure and excuse their Nazi past. The facts came out only in the 1980s when their files were declassified, only then was it possible to make a balanced judgment about Project Paperclip. And I think that summarizes what we're asking our listeners to do, is after all of this information has been laid out, let's make the assessment for yourself. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, I'm Phil Schaff. And I'm Phil Horander. Another chapter has been added to the history textbooks.